Hello and welcome. Uh, this is Khalid Ali, the Screening Room Editor for Medical Humanities Journal. It's a great pleasure to have today uh, uh, Mr. Khalid Abunaja, the well-known Egyptian actor, producer, director and multi-award winning performer and artist. Uh, Khalid has been described as... Uh, one of Egypt's national treasure, and if I may say international treasures, and, and uh, one of the great artists from the Middle East. Uh, I will hand over to Khalid to introduce himself uh, first, his uh, work, the diversity of his work, and his uh, connections with uh, the UK. <laughs> thank you, Khalid. Um, uh, I, I don't know what to say after you, what you said. I, I um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm an actor. I'd like to be introduced as an actor uh, or a, an artist. Uh, although um, when I say an artist, uh, I skip, my heart skips a beat because then um, you're you're claiming uh, something that people should really um, describe you with. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm an actor from Egypt. Um, I'm glad that I took that um, choice a long time ago because... Um, as people sometimes say, it, it's, it was a calling. And at some point of my life, uh, I was studying engineering, and I did finish. But uh, and that somehow, was in the UK. Uh, engineering it's all in Egypt, and then yeah, yes, right. masters of philosophy in the UK, University of Surrey, and um, hence uh, my connection with the, the UK. Um, I have a lot of friends here, and uh, and you. <laughs> Thank you so much, and it's great to have you back. You, we've uh, had several uh, events at the Brighton Sussex Medical Schools where you. Uh, shared with us some of your films and work. Uh, I would like to start first with your role as a uh, UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador for uh, children's uh, rights and, and so forth, and, and particularly your work with Oliver, the uh, Arabic uh, version of Oliver. Tell us more about this, please. That was a very, very special project. Uh, it's very dear to my heart. Um, the project started, well, f- first, let's talk about the UNICEF. I, I did work with UNICEF since 2007 in Egypt uh, with a lot of projects, um, mostly um, to create awareness about, you know, um, uh, taboo subjects that usually people don't talk about it or the media uh, are a bit, uh, you know, um, afraid to to open these subjects like, you know, HIV awareness, uh, uh, um, FGM uh, awareness, stuff like that, and I think we did we did have achieved a lot of steps. Uh, of course, uh, with the situation in Egypt, a lot of governments changed very rapidly in the past few years. So most of the projects, you know, have to restart and restart, and that was not very much, uh, you know, it didn't help well. But talking about Oliver, it was um, really an opportunity not to be missed the idea of doing Oliver in Arabic for the first time ever. And it's not only um, the same uh, Dickensian London, but it's actually an adaptation of such Dickensian London times and how the kids and children, uh, um, as as some people say it, say it was a slap uh, in the Victorian, in the face of Vic- Victorian London at that time to the children's uh, rights and, and, and situations. And to move that, transform that, or transport that through time and to a, a, an, an Arab city, an Arabic city, um, was quite an amazing idea to try and see if it fits. And it did fit, thanks to a great writer, uh, Zainab Mubarak, who did a lot of work of such adaptations with Disney to Arabic. The idea was to bring 
Oliver to an Arab city now, today, and see how um, these scenes of when Oliver is uh, discovering his rights, uh, his right to eat from food, glorious food, onwards yeah. throughout the play, um, that how that would work in an Arab city today. And, and it worked perfectly because... Believe it or not, the situation in in Arab cities right now, especially for children, uh, Syrian refugees in in any Arab city or or Palestinian uh, refugees in in Amman or other cities, or any uh, really uh, children in in, in Arab cities, especially if they're underprivileged, even if they're Jordanian in Jordan, like what we had in in Oliver, um, is pretty much the same as that the, of, of the times of Charles Dickens in London and Lionel Bart's musical, uh, Oliver. So it was a great script to begin with. But the idea was to bring the Syrian refugees and underprivileged children in Jordan uh, and even Palestinian kids, there was one, to work together because due to the situation that they are refugees and the government there is trying to feed everybody in the educational system, so they are separated into different times of the day. So they don't really meet. So the Syrian kids don't meet, the Palestinian don't meet the, the, the Jordanians. But we thought if we do this project together, this is how it started, uh, really. Uh, if, if, if this project was done to unite them and integrate them together, hopefully then they feel less of the refugee kids yeah. in, in town. The project, of course, uh, having theater as, as uh, the medium was, was perfect because me, this is what theater does. It creates a family. Yeah. And that was the plan. Uh, it's not about the drama and the trauma the children went through. Uh, it's more about... Creative, kids, yeah, kids being creative, kids and uh, becoming one family. Even those kids coming from different backgrounds, some very conservative families. Some children didn't even, um, you know, handshake girls. And then uh, you can see also children who uh, were very uh, uh, shy and, and didn't really move a lot. But they had great voices, for example. And when we picked out of, I think, three hundred uh, child, uh, the hundred that stayed with us at the end, the thirty-seven main roles that sang and 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 the lead roles at the end. It was amazing to see how those children became one family, mm. how this, this, this child who couldn't integrate well and wouldn't, was so shy even to shake hands with girls and so on, at the end was there, loud and, and moving uh, his, his fellow actors to, to position if they are not. And it, it just ended up being a family. And that was, uh, that was it. And the idea was to do this in a professional level that would we would take it to London or New York and show it and be proud of it. So there was an orchestra, there was a whole uh, three months of... of, of uh, rehearsals. Yeah, rehearsals and so on. And, and uh, they stood there with standing ovation for three nights where uh, the Queen... Uh, and that was and in everybody Jordan. Was, yeah, Amman, Jordan yeah. Amman, where, where the whole society was so proud of them. I think that's the best therapy, a life-changing experience, not only for the children, but for, my, for me, to see how... to remind myself how theatre... 
can transform can change can yeah. transform people yeah. Yeah. And, and credit goes to you for for, for being actually, the founder actually it goes to a lot of people it goes, yeah, it goes to really a lot of people who who helped this project especially the angels mm. i call them the angels i feel that there was angels there were angels uh, helping us to make this project happen you can imagine the bureaucracy sometimes in arab cities yeah. doing something uh, of such nature when the whole Uh, subject of refugees is a, is a no-no and uh, you know they're always afraid of why does that mean politically and so on but thank god we we uh, and also thanks to a lot of people who stood by us uh, families uh, people who understand how important that is uh, all the way till maybe a few weeks before the show in the office of the queen we had to really knock on every door and um, yeah and uh, Queen Rania um, uh, was uh, agreed to have it under her patronage which was of course a great plus and kind of um, opened those last closed doors and we hope that we will get to see it in, in London and in, in Europe and I'd, by I'd in, in the rest of the Arab world as well so this uh, notion of, of, of uh, uh, using art and, and humanities in addressing some of the current social and, and, and political Uh, problems that we face nowadays, you have um, touched on that or you've uh, explored those in, in other uh, uh, TV series or, or films. And if I mentioned the Tyrant Series 3, which has just uh, um, started uh, in, broadcasting, uh, broadcasting in, 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 with you having in Series 3 a, a major a major role. So tell, tell us about that and, and as well as about civic duty and how those particular roles in, in international and American you know, mainstream uh, programs can uh, enhance and increase awareness of uh, the Arab issues. Uh, I always say that, that uh, art is always, like good honest art always is looking for what is the common human condition so that we can all understand it. The, I believe that the language of film, or most of the art really, is, is not Arabic, English, or, or Hebrew. It's, it's more the emotions, you know, human emotions and human condition. That's the language of art, of film. At the same time, I think artists strive to find what connects us, what unites us all those hu human condition emo and human uh, emotions that connects us all. Experience, That's why a film, yeah, yeah you know, crosses borders and a film from Japan can still strike a chord when you see it here or in, in Egypt or wherever. And so that's on one side. On the other side, I think media and news is always looking for what, what, is, what actually is making us more... Um, segregated and, and what's, what makes us different than others. So it's them against us. The more conflict there is, the better the news are getting headlines. And I always believe there is always this hidden undercover war between art and current affairs. Mm -hmm. Current affairs always looks for conflict and makes it the headline. Art looks for how this conflict hits people and how they end up being in trauma and how we, we try to get out of this. Yeah. So Tyrant is an, is an amazing show because it's, it's a hybrid between current affairs and fiction. Fiction, yep. Based on a, a fictional Arab country um, that goes through the you know, Arab Spring and how people are really are traumatized by the events while we have tyrants and, and dictatorships and they're, you know, uh, going through their cycles of one after the other while people are going from one phase to the other with, although they've started a great 
call for you know equality and freedom and and, and change and, yeah change so mm-hmm. so tyrant in in, in, a, in a big sense is was it was a great show to to be in actually i know the show from the beginning and i've known the the film the the showmakers from the beginning howard gordon and now chris kaiser and two years later they called me for this role which is uh al-qadi sheikh al-qadi is a is a is really there to have this kind of balance that the American audience don't really see much in in TV or in media, and he is there to 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 show that there is actually a, a sheikh. For example, it's the first time they understand that a sheikh is a priest. Mm. Most of the um, word sheikh was ever announced about I don't know rulers in in the Emirates or so. People really have very little understanding of what is a sheikh. Once you see a sheikh, and we we made him dressed more like uh, the as uh, the Azhar sheikhs in Egypt, or it's a bit bit of a mix really, but yeah. more like a priest, and then he speaks more like a priest, and then he 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 uh, preaches like a priest, and he he tries to always um, remind people of you know those values of religion like tolerance and mercy and understanding, which. To an American audience, I think it's a big new uh, change, and uh, I think it's important to have that. On this tragic day, with you and God as my witness, I announce my candidacy for president of Abu Dhabi. It is a dangerous time for our country. There is a risk we give in to anger, fall prey to our old animosities, resort to violence. But it's an opportunity, an opportunity to reclaim our lost heritage, to follow the example our Prophet Muhammad وسلم, who taught us that extremism and violence has no place in Islam. At the same time, of course, it's a drama. And that part is very interesting, which is where he, coming from this background, I explained, um, have to face politics and he has to have a step in politics to try to have that change happen which is a big thing in the Middle East right now and how will he succeed or not having no experience in politics uh, trying to um, moderate uh, m- yeah the, the, having the, the, that change happen in, mm. in, in, in Tyrant so that's that's pretty much my, my role in, in Tyrant without having any spoilers I uh, but I have to say <laughs> it's a very gripping uh, drama that I do recommend uh, you. you know the listeners to, to uh, to watch it um, and now I'd like to to talk about uh, one of your great films that that was actually was is a great uh, film that won several awards and particularly for, for your good self you won several best actor awards for Villa 69 mm-hmm. which we were very privileged and honored to show uh, at the special screening of the Brighton and Sussex Medical School uh, a couple of years ago in 2014 so tell us I know this film has has uh, is, is very uh, close to your heart and 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 and, and you have uh, t- told us a lot about how how it affected you personally uh, as well as professionally by getting you all these great awards. So tell us about Vif- Villa 69, the film and the character, Hussein. Sure. Um, in a nutshell, I think it, as an artist, if you if you finish a project and you think that it didn't really, you are the same person, I think it didn't really do much. And I believe that uh, some great roles when they are really well written they change you and then that's so if you finish a film and I feel that oh my god this really added something they changed me a little bit it actually means that 
an experience really happened to you and you kind of shared these this human condition with the character and became became in you part of you and i think that character definitely changed me ابوك الله يرحمه كان مغرم بتصميم البيت دهوت كان كل ما يجي يزور البيت ابويا ياخده ويفرجوا عليه حته حته كل مره سمعت انك بقالك مده ما خرجتش Hussein is, is a an architect who we will find out why in the film he decided to um, create his own little world to live in so he doesn't get out of his home anymore he decided to live with his again answering the question of where what are the best times of your life and he thought um, when he have his books his music Uh, the people he likes to visit him and to have him, even his nice memories to visit him, then he'll be happy. Little did he know, with a little bit of a twist in the story, that actually we become alive and we really become happy only if we can be of use to someone, if, only if we can help someone else. And when he finds himself... Um, being needed by his nephew at, and, and offers the help, something happens and something reminds him that this is life. It's not your m- music and house and, and career and, and even people who loves you. It's when you find someone who, is, who really needs your help. And when you give that, it's only this act of giving that makes you become alive. And at that point, we, we're not sure if he's going to live or, or not because now now I'm spoiling it You're because spoiling. he's, a, he's a, he has a terminal illness and that's and that's the beginning of the movie so uh, anyway so yeah that 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 process that human condition of Hussein actually stayed with me and i have to say it changed me forever because it gives you this insight of something that we usually never think about but it's it's there and it's it's a reality and and it's it's almost the core of life itself that that it won't last forever and addressing that is so important on making us understand how our decisions have to be as honest and as clear and as wholeheartedly as possible otherwise we're really um, losing on, on, on important time and, and lifetime. I think it's what, what you just uh, beautifully uh, encapsulated is the sharing of, of that experience even at those moments. And I, if I may re- uh, reflect on, on recent uh, recent stories, the, the, the passing of David Bowie and, and, yeah. and the letter that uh, uh, the, the, uh, one of the uh, British uh, doctors and this that shared with his son and then more recently the dying of uh, uh, Leonard Cohen's partner and, and, and the, the letters that he shared with her so that sharing those uh, moments when, when people are dying I think it, it's a great experience and, and you've uh, captured that beautifully in your performance and in the film so I do highly recommend even if people know that the twist <laughs> but it's still a, a great film to Uh, to experience uh, and, and to reflect and, and uh, on. I would move now to, to another uh, uh, TV series from 2009, Majnoon Layla, or, or the... Um, how, how do you translate this? The um, Layla's Mad... Layla's Mad Man, or Mad, Mad, Mad Lover. Mad Lover. <laughs> um, it's a t- mini-series. Tell us about that and how you 
embodied and lived the role of a, of a mentally ill person who connects with uh, with the healthcare professional. Uh, Magnun Leila or um, Leila's um, madman or mad lover was was actually based on a personal experience, and I uh, I gave it to a writer, and he wrote a movie uh, about it. But then it was there was so much details that he he thought it's uh, uh, maybe a TV miniseries would be even better, and it's um, it's about Omar who's uh, a patient, a mentally ill patient, and. Uh, Due to some trauma that he went through that we learn about in the in this TV series, um, he decided to block part of his memory, especially how did his son, our only son that he was infatuated with, die. And because of such trauma we, that he couldn't bear, uh, his mind decided to block that part and actually create a whole other uh, reality and um, this bubble of his was his illness and then the the doctor or the researcher who was doing this research and wanted to meet him little by little uh, was starting to fall in love with him and little by little seeing that block uh, felt that she had to help him uh, realize it but then it was too painful for him that she saw the pain that she saw that she would have preferred that he would stay in that in that bubble uh, as a, as a, as a lover. So she, they have this journey when he decides to uh, flee the uh, the health uh, clinic or uh, the the hospital, and then the, the journey goes on where both of them kind of uh, reach that moment where he finally faces this pain, and 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 moves on and with moves the, on yeah. uh, while she actually ends up uh, in she wants more she wants to open more doors with him but he kind of blocks that whole um, uh, therapy uh, because it was too painful the therapy itself so it's interesting how um, the the doctor or the the healer sometimes he needs his own time to heal because absolutely. we exchange the pain sometimes mm. absolutely i think i think it, it, it for me it was a beautiful narrative of the uh, not necessarily just the doctor patient but the healthcare professional patient experience and encounter mm. and how the two are affected by it and 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 the communication the boundaries between the personal and the professional lives of of, uh, of ha- having said that also yeah. I, have, I must admit mm. that it was a, a very funny uh, show at some point because <laughs> yeah. um because and and this is how it, it was it was written as a comedy to begin with to to be honest as a film of course in in the tv series was there was more of a drama space but i have to say that uh, you know, uh, it, it's quite sometimes a funny situation to know how people are act like children when they block these parts of their memories, and he, that's why Omar and and there was a lot of childlike behavior from yeah. him, which made him uh, likable. But but uh, it, it, he was a likable character, and that's I think part of it is great writing and and uh, you, your expertise in in in. in bringing those emotions to, to people so they can empathize and connect. Um, one more um, televised play, the Bossy Monologues, the narrative of human of, uh, women's stories from Egypt. Tell us a bit about that. This is an interesting story. It, it started in, a, uh, well, in 2005, uh, this uh, initiative by students who decided to do um, 
a play based on Eva Ensler's uh, The Vagina Monologues. And uh, they decided to write a little ad on the university uh, and, and, and see if students can come up with, you know, stories of taboos, uh, girls, and then, and then guys as well. And they came up, they ended up with a lot of these amazing letters of girls talking about some, you know, sexual stories and, or, or abuse. And they decided to go on and be honest to, this, to those letters and have what they called um, a monologue theater, uh, storytelling theater. And basically, uh, actors would come, read the letter, and, and, and basically become the, the, the teller and tells the story. And that was it. It's a very simple format, really. But it's, it's so moving because uh, you know that it's based on a true... There's a person there. And sometimes even those students come and attend the show. So it was kind of a therapy uh, project. And it stayed from 2005 all the way till 2010 in universities and went from one to the other. In 2010, the group had uh, two girls who were uh, very ambitious and they wanted to put this on the National Theatre in Egypt. and or So they did this tour and they met all those uh, theatre managers where they were, of course, thrown out from <laughs> the window sometimes. How, how uh, dare they? Uh, because they were, uh, they, this, the language was, was real and they just wanted to keep it as it is and they didn't want to censor it. I met them when they texted me in 2010. I'll never forget it. And uh, it just sounded very interesting. They said, we're doing this project, the Bussi Monologues, and it's now, we've been thrown out from every office and manager of theater, and we wanted to still make it. And we found this abandoned open-air theater in the parking lot of the opera house in Cairo. And actually, they gave us, they said, oh, if you want to do it in the parking lot, you can do that. So they, <laughs> with whatever means they had, they actually performed there and they asked me to come and attend and I did and I fell in love with it and I thought this is a show that documents the teen or even the youth stories as they are and it should be well documented so we moved on to a studio and I decided to produce it with a friend of mine and, and direct as well too. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah because when you move to another medium you need a different direction of course you need a director and I decided to help them with that but uh, to be honest it's very simple it's just a monologue and the actors chose those letters so there's also a resonance between why did this actor choose that story it must have you know, uh, strike the chord uh, in, in their heart. And that was amazing. That was another, this is the documentary about it as well. My name is uh, Sundus Shabaik. I am 28 years old. Every time I perform, there's a, there's a type of risk because... Um, We're talking about issues that the society does not like us to talk about. I do personally believe that it's because of the pressure, it's because there's so much pressure on you that you try to resist and therefore something happens. Maybe if my society was okay with talking about issues related to women, maybe Bussi wouldn't have happened. Probably not, because it, it was born out of the urge to speak up. So the, the whole... The whole project I, I feel started from student projects to parking lot in the opera to a, a filmed um, um, uh, project and now they actually raised funds to have their own um, 
workshop in Cairo. So they have an apartment now rented and they have a place uh, to, for, for the project to, to go on. When the revolution happened, they even made a, a different version called Tahrir Stories or Tahrir Monologues about people who had, you know, um, traumatic stories or real stories that were untold in Tahrir Square during the 18 days of the revolution. And then they did others. Now, Sundos is in London, actually, in, in, believe it or not, she became an expert in this, that yes. um, the Lyric Hampstead Theatre actually invited her to do the same project with uh, a fringe society of uh, veiled Muslim girls in, in, in the, um, the outskirts of London. I think it's, it's a great idea to bring those girls, tell the stories, and then put an audience and something happens when you do that. Uh, telling your own story to friends and family and audiences is highly therapeutic. And um, that's what Sondos is doing now. I'm very proud of them. Uh, great. And, and uh, talking about all these uh, uh, social and human rights, uh, people would think that you'd only do um, serious subjects and heavy Um, uh, that's, that's what I was afraid of. I'm not. <laughs> But you're not. So I want people to, to the listeners to know that you do sing as well. You're a TV show, talk show host, and uh, two of your uh, great films, uh, 2006, None But That, and um, My uh, uh, My Sleeping Lover. You sang in that, and these were yeah. uh, comedies, very uh, critically and, and 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 very commercially successful films as well. So yeah. tell us about your singing career. I think I started wanting to do more artistic films and wanted to be, you know, to prove myself as an actor and, you know, as a talent. So I, I, I you know, I, I really wanted to move from one genre to the other until little by little you, you kind of create this um, image that then you, you kind of attract the the scripts that you really love mm-hmm. and they come to you. And that was, that was a, an amazing revelation later on. But throughout the journey, uh, I, I'm so happy that I, had the chance to do, yeah, musicals, comedies, and all, all kinds of uh, genres. And then uh, th- there's also the 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 the, uh, the love stories and the, and the social dramas, Sleepless Nights uh, in the Heliopolis flat, one of my all-time favorites, and I do recommend it to uh, friends and family for Valentine Night. The perfect film is in the Heliopolis flat. Tell in, us. In, yeah, in, <laughs> in the Heliopolis flat is is a is a movie that uh, I I would love to. You know, this this is a script when was offered to a lot of actors and they turned it down. And Mohammed Khan, uh, rest, may he rest in peace, his soul rest in peace, um, will be missed physically, but his legacy will live forever with yeah. films like this one. Um, in the Heliopolis flat is really a very subtle story where actually very, very little... Um, Happens in terms of... Very little of... story goes on, but actually there's a lot of emotions developing. Actually, the most important, I think, message that or, or feel, like emotion I, I remember from that film, uh, Mohammed Khan was always jumping into my trailer between takes and coming up with uh, new ideas. And he was like a little child. And I believe this is something that we should always keep as, as artists and, and filmmakers. We should always keep that child excitement, in, in, excitement mm. inside, of, inside of us. And, and, and he w- I remember very well, he jumped to my trailer one day and said, Guess what? I said, well, we were in the Cairo train station, the big uh, grand station. And uh, he said, um, look, for, look out from the window. And I looked and there was uh, a wedding. And like, yeah. Apparently, it happens that people get, you know, are wed uh, in, in Cairo and they travel by train back to their town. But they are in, you know, in full 
costume and like, like the it's wedding a wedding dress. With, yeah, this is a wedding an dress. Mm-hmm. And he saw these these newlyweds are running to catch their train, and he said, "I'm gonna have them in the scene." I, I just asked them, mm-hmm. and he it was a kind of a. Uh, a surreal moment. Yeah, have, surreal uh, moment where, where yeah. actually you can see the main character and and the, and the town girl when they are just leaving, saying goodbye to each other. But you see these two newlyweds, and he just throws the idea that will they ever be married one day, mm. maybe? And it's just a very nice, subtle story to remind us of how we felt when we when we first fell in love. And and it's again, as I say, it is a perfect film for Valentine. And I think that there's plenty of of great uh, work in in TV, in theater, in film that uh, uh, we uh, I would really recommend to the, to the audience. And so thank you so much, uh, Khalid, for for being so generous with us today and for sharing all these uh, wonderful uh, stories and memories of your beautiful and uh, elegant work, and and that really touches uh, the hearts of of. Uh, millions of people across the Arab world, the Middle East and the, and the world. So thank you very much for uh, being with us here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me and uh, uh, please keep up the good work. Uh, I love what thank you're doing and I think uh, it was an, I have to tell the audience that uh, the relationship between you as and what you do and, and art, I've, something that I've never thought how it could be uh, interesting and, and actually um, kind of awakening Uh, to how your films affect people in different ways. So thank you for always inviting us and, and having us, uh, uh, you know, in your in your realms. <laughs> it, it, it's our honor and, and great uh, privilege to have you. So thank you so much again. Thank you. Thank you.